So what do you do now? I think all of us agree that the Patriots' future is priority number one, certainly not the present. And if I'm Robert Kraft, I cannot sit around and wait to at least start this process. I can't give this four weeks, five weeks, six weeks to see how it all lands. I need to start entertaining what to do about the future of this program right now if you haven't already began doing so over the past couple of weeks. The fact is this team over the last 13 games, we look at the last three games and last four games and say, oh, this year is really when it all fell apart. You go back to last year. I mean, you go back to Thanksgiving. Last 13 games this team has played, they are 3-10. and 10. Robert Kraft has to start this process right now. And Adam Schefter was asked about this on the Pat McAfee show yesterday about Belichick's future, Sophie Weller from A to Z, with the transcript, quote, I think he's treated differently, as he should be, than any other coach. I just don't think you're going to get one of these statements on the last regular season game that Sunday night where the Patriots are firing Bill Belichick. I just don't think it works like that when there's the history and accomplishments and the resumes and the relationship that there has been between he and Robert Kraft. Schefter continued, look, I just think there are going to be some hard conversations that naturally occur between he and Robert Kraft and where those go. I don't know. Is Bill going to want out? Are they going to want him out? Are they going to mutually end it together? I don't think the conversations between Kraft and Belichick can wait until the end of the year. I think these conversations have to start much sooner than that. The clock is ticking. It is ticking on when to have these conversations. Tom Curran, NBC Sports Boston, does a great job. He wrote, the Senior Bowl is in four months. Free agency opens in about five months. The draft will be here in six months. In two weeks on Halloween, the trade deadline will be here. It's a very tricky conversation for Kraft to have with Belichick, and this is what happens when you have the head coach also be the GM. The head coach is in on these conversations about the future of the program. And Robert Kraft has to sit down with Belichick and have these discussions about the future of the franchise in the middle of a season. And Coach Belichick, you know what he's thinking. Coach Belichick is thinking about winning as much as he can. He's thinking about his legacy. He's thinking about beating Don Shula's record. He's thinking about not walking out of New England absolutely embarrassed in the final year of his coaching tenure if this is indeed that final year. So the GM and the head coach are clashing right now because when you are the GM, you're always thinking big picture. You're always thinking about what will get us to contention the earliest and trying to crawl towards the end of this season is not getting you closer to contention. Head coach Belichick, the head coach in the league is thinking, I've got to do what I've got to do to prepare my team to win coming up this Sunday against Buffalo. Very tricky conversation to have because Belichick's job as the head coach is to win football games. And I don't think Kraft is going to sit Belichick down and say, hey, Bill, it's time to tank. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think that's realistic. So what do you do? Well, I think you have to sit with Belichick after this Buffalo game. You sit him down and he gets three options. Three options on how you move forward. Option one, and this doesn't mean I think it's the best option, but option one is Matt Grow gets full autonomy over the program and he runs the trading deadline. Grow is the guy that pulls the trigger on trades. He's the guy that makes the decisions, no longer Belichick. That's option one. 
Another option is that Robert Kraft makes the call. That Kraft actually plays the pseudo GM role with Grow underneath Kraft in this structure, at least for the rest of the year. And Kraft ultimately makes the calls and says, yes, we're going to trade these guys. We're going to trade these impending free agents. We might even trade Mac Jones. Kraft makes that call. Grow executes the call that Kraft makes. Or option number three, Kraft gives Bill Belichick a mandate. And the mandate is simple. Bill, you work for me. Your job is to work for me. And in the best interest of this franchise, the franchise that I bought, the franchise that I helped develop into a monster, in the best interest of the franchise, we need to do whatever we need to do personnel-wise to set us up to have the best offseason that this program has ever had. Because what's happening sucks. And it's on you, Bill. Kraft gives Belichick a mandate. You make trades. You pull the trigger on deals at the deadline. You think about the big picture. As the owner, as your employer, I'm no longer worried about the 2023 season. And your job is to sit down and set this team up to be much better next year than it is this year. That's the conversation. That's what Kraft needs to say to Bill Belichick. And for people thinking that this won't happen, that this can't happen, I disagree. What did Robert Kraft do in 2017 when he went to Bill Belichick? He went to Belichick and told Belichick, Jimmy G's got to go. That was a mandate from Kraft. Belichick wanted to keep Jimmy. Kraft went to the head coach and the GM and told him, no uncertain terms, this is what you're doing. We need to settle this quarterback thing. We're keeping Brady and you're moving Garoppolo. And what did Belichick inevitably do? As much as he was angry about it, and as disappointed as he was, Belichick still executed the owner's plan. Belichick still executed the mandate from Kraft. And he kicked and he scratched and he clawed and he probably whined and he probably bitched to people that are in his circle. But he did what he had to do. And Kraft has to set that standard again at this trade deadline. You've got to do what you've got to do, Bill. You tell everybody do your job, you do your job. You can coach the rest of this team as hard as you want to. You can try to win every single week. But as far as looking into the future and decisions that have been made and decisions that have to be made, we're looking big picture. We're looking 2024. That's your job. And if you can't handle it, then I'm taking the reins, I'm taking the keys, and I'm going to do what I have to do to set us on the correct path. That's what should happen. This should be similar to 2017 when the owner steps up and says, I don't like getting in the middle of these decisions and conversations, but this is a point of no return. And it's so bad right now that I have to step in because if I don't step in, it's a dereliction of my duty as the owner of the New England Patriots. Then I am not doing my job. I gave you enough leeway. You've had four years post-Brady. We're one in five. We suck. And now it's up to me to step up and tell you this is what has to be done. And if you don't like it, oh, well, you made your bed. 
Bill Belichick has nobody to blame but himself, even if you want to go to the cash spending. That's a reasonable counterpunch by Belichick. Even if you want to tell Kraft, well, Kraft, you were expecting me to buy top-of-the-line items with not as much money to spend as really any other team in the league. It's your fault, Robert. I don't buy that, and I'll tell you why. Because Kraft allowed Belichick to make big moves in 2021. He allowed Belichick to go on a spending spree because Belichick screwed up plenty of drafts before that point. Because Belichick failed to have a legitimate backup plan for multiple positions on this team. And Kraft said, spend. Spend all that you want, Bill. Spend, 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 spend. He spent the money on John U. Smith. He spent the money on Nelson Aguilar. Yes, he brought in Matthew Judon. Very good move. He brought in Hunter Henry. Henry's been good. Hasn't been great. He's been good. Devon Gotchow, okay. But that's number one. Kraft gave Belichick all the money to spend to make this thing right, to set up this operation with a young quarterback, first-round pick, to succeed for the next several years, and it has failed. It's failed on pretty much every level. On top of that, it's not just about the resources. It's about the allocation of those resources. Belichick was given the money to spend at wide receiver. He and or Matt Groh decided to go with Juju Smith-Schuster over Jacoby Myers. That's not a spending problem. That is an evaluation problem. That is a decision problem. That is an allocation of resources problem. He has the money to spend on a third down back. Didn't do it. So he was spending tons of money at the tight end position. Smith didn't work out in New England, but somehow he's working out in Atlanta this year with a quarterback that stinks. So it's also the allocation of resources. But look, Kraft has no time for feelings. There's no time for feelings in this process. You have to cut out the emotion. And I understand everything that Bill did for this team. And I truly understand what Adam Schefter is saying about the relationship and all of that. I, I do. But you have to get past that because this is the time that you have to walk away from the personal relationship and walk away from the history and judge this team on what's happened over the past four, five, six years. You have to make these calls right now. And if you go hands off and you allow no moves to be made, then you did not do the most that you could do to set your team up to succeed this offseason. And that should be priority number one. Bill made this mess. It is Kraft's job to now clean it up. All right, how to start the rebuild in a minute. First, Cattle's on Causeway. Uh, my Celtics exclusive podcast will be dropping another episode tomorrow. Look out for that. Also, live post-game pod after the Celtics-Knicks game next Wednesday, October 25th. We will be doing a live post-game podcast reacting to Knicks-Celtics game number one. Again, that will tip off a week from tomorrow, October 25th. Also like to say that yesterday was the most viewed video in the history of this show, and it's all because of you. I appreciate every single one of you. I thank you for your support. If you're listening to Apple Pods, Spotify, rate, review, do all that you can do at those two places. If you're watching on YouTube, click that thumbs up. Give me the like. It takes one second of your time. It means an awful lot to me. Give us that thumbs up. 
and also subscribe uh, if you have that time, which we all know you do. All right, let's get into uh, starting the rebuild and how to do it. The first question that has to be answered, and I'm going to dive more into the Mac Jones decision and Mac's future and how the Patriots should handle him, et cetera. I'm going to dive a little bit deeper into that at some point over the next week or two. It might even be tomorrow. We'll see how it all falls together. But the number one question that has to be answered if you're Robert Kraft and you're looking at the totality of this team is whether or not you are going to plan to have Mac on this roster next year or have him off the roster next year. And if you think that it's not your decision – and you want to leave that decision to the next guy this offseason, then obviously you have to plan as if you're going to have Mac in 2024. I don't think it's as easy as people are making it out to be that you just dump Mac and forget about him. And it's not because I'm telling you that Mac has a great future with this team. I'm not telling you that he hasn't been broken the last two and a half, three weeks. He was a little bit better against uh, Vegas on Sunday, still not good enough. You have to look at this realistically. You have to look at this objectively, and you have to look at this if you're Robert Kraft and ask yourself the question, what puts us in the best position? The first part of the Mac problem is that he's going to cost you under $3 million next year. So just looking at money spent, just looking at the you know value of a player and how much that player's position means to you and how much that player is going to make, it's not easy to just dump a quarterback that you drafted just a couple of years ago that looked like a at least passable NFL starter, if not good NFL starter in his rookie season. It's not as easy to just move on from that guy two years later when he's going to make under $3 million next year. I'm not telling you not to move on from him. I'm just telling you what Kraft is looking at, okay? This is not my point of view. This is what Kraft is looking at. Do I stick with Mac? Do I keep him as part of the plan? Do I just not make a decision on him and kick the can down the road because he is going to be a very affordable quarterback on this roster next season? That's what he's looking at. And don't forget Jeff Howe's article last week. What did I say about Howe's article last week? If, if you didn't listen in on the pod last week, you can check it out. But one of the things that jumped out at me during that How article is the fact that Bill Belichick caught all the strays. All the strays were fired at Bill. I mean, this was everything on Bill. That was the type of article that was written. The people that Jeff Howe spoke to blamed Belichick much more than they blamed Mac. You can't even find any blame on Mac in that article, which tells me if those people are operating with the idea of what Kraft is thinking, which you have to believe they are, then Kraft is looking at this situation from 30,000 feet, and he's blaming Belichick more than he's blaming Mac. He looks at Belichick as breaking the quarterback and not the quarterback just sucking and breaking himself. That's how the owner is looking at it. Again, I stress, I'm not telling you how I look at it, although I would agree with that opinion. I'm not telling you what I would do with Mac right now. What I am telling you is what Kraft is thinking as he's assessing the situation. And if you read the Howe article saying that Belichick alienated the rookie, uh, the, the second-year quarterback, the fact that Belichick made all of these you know, misfires in the personnel department, all of that tells us that the owner's thinking is this is more a Belichick issue than a Mac issue. So keep that in the back of your mind. I think personally that saving Mac 
or even just saving max value on the market is important to Robert Kraft and this team, and it should be. Even if you don't think Mac has a future with this team, you still want him to play well the rest of 2023. And by the way, even if he plays well, it doesn't mean you're going to win. Mac played well the first three weeks. And it didn't make a whole bunch of difference, right? He played well against Philly. He played well against Miami. He played well against the Jets for at least a half. And you were still one and two and barely survived the Jets game. But for the best of this team and the best of this organization, you want Mac to play well. I know people are pissed at him. I understand. And you should be mad at him for what he's looked like the last three weeks. I get it. I get it. But you have to pull your emotions out of this and look at the big picture because that's what's the responsible thing to do when you're running an organization and trying to get this team back to where it was years ago. Even if you believe Mac is not part of that, being able to rebuild, at least impart Mac's value as a quarterback, will reap benefits in the offseason. So let's say Mac right now could go for a fifth round pick, which I don't think is crazy. Trey Lance went for a fourth to Dallas, and that guy has played like five games in the last five or six years, literally. Let's say if you could trade Mac for a fifth round pick right now, what's better? Trading Mac for a fifth round pick right now or trying to rebuild some of his value, go into the offseason saying, man, he was brutal for a three, four, five week stretch, but he really turned it around. And at least give, if you don't believe in Mac Jones, at least give other teams the illusion that Jones could be the guy. Because then maybe in the offseason, you're looking at a third round pick, a fourth round pick, maybe even a conditional second round pick. Depends on how desperate other teams are to find that next guy. So rebuilding max value is important here, and that should affect every other decision. I don't think you can, you know, take the list of 18 guys and just trade all 18 impending free agents because you are inherently killing the value of your quarterback. And again, even if you don't believe in that quarterback being the future, that's still bad business. It's still bad business to crater his value or to sell him when he's at his lowest point. So you can't just deal everybody off. Because if you deal everybody off, Mac is going to be even worse and it's going to kill his value. And if you bench him, now you benched him for Bailey Zappi or Will Greer, Malik Cunningham, that also kills his value. You have to think about the other guys on this team. You still have more than 30 guys on this roster that are not walking into free agency next year. You still have a number of rookies that you want to get the best habits built for them. You know, just giving up all of it and burning it totally to the ground in season could do irreparable damage to all the other guys on this team, the rookies on this team. You might inherently be hurting Pop Douglas and Kayshawn Booty's development because you stick them with a guy who's not even as good as Mac Jones is. That's a part of this conversation. I understand it sucks right now. I understand people want to burn it all to the ground. 
but you've got to do what's best. And what's best is to set this team up for 2024. And that is giving some of those younger guys the development that they need so they can step up in 2024. And if you just throw anybody out there and say, well, who cares? Let's get beat 40 to nothing every week. What effect, what impact is that going to have on the rest of the guys that are going to be here beyond 2023? Whoever is the coach next year, if Belichick moves on, if it's Gerard Mayo or somebody else, whoever that is, you don't want that guy inheriting more than 30 players who are pissed off at the organization, miserable, and failed to develop because you decided to burn it all down to the ground in season. You need to start thinking of a reset, but you can't reset it all in the middle of the year. That would be irresponsible to some of the young guys that you actually do value and believe in. So what what, what would I do? I would keep Kendrick Bourne because I, the other part of this is you need guys for 2024. You can't get rid of everybody. You can't go out in the offseason next year as badly as you want to and sign 45 players. <laughs> it's not realistic. You can't say we're getting rid of everybody. This sucks. You can't do it. Can't do it, won't do it. So you have to keep some of the guys on this team. And so who is on this team that could actually help in 2024 that might be, you know, looking at free agency and wondering if they have a future here? Kendrick Bourne's one of those guys. I think Kendrick Bourne is a good receiver. I think he's a good number two B or three guy. I think he can help the quarterback, whether it's Mac or somebody else. That's the kind of guy I want. The guy who took accountability for his crappy year last year. The guy that has played as well as he can play for most of this season and gives you extra effort on Yak and all of those things. I keep Kendrick Bourne. I keep Hunter Henry. Hunter Henry is a good, solid leader for this football team. He stands up and he addresses things when they need to be addressed. And he has been a solid member of this team. So unless I get knocked over with a crazy package of picks or or a a second-round or third-round pick for Hunter Henry that could be in the upper echelon, I'm keeping Hunter Henry. And I'd also keep Trent Brown, unless I have a great deal. Trent Brown, as inconsistent as he is, has been your best offensive lineman this year, along with David Andrews. So I would keep Bourne, I would keep Henry, and I would keep Trent Brown because I am trying to keep some of the leadership in Henry and Bourne so this thing doesn't completely fall apart. I'm also believing that, especially for the right price, that Bourne and Henry could be back next year to help this team. And I'm thinking I need somebody at left tackle that's not a disaster because right tackle is already a disaster. And again, if I'm thinking big picture with Mac Jones, even if you don't want him on this team, if you're just trying to rebuild some of that value, giving him at least one tackle that can block consistently is crucial to the operation. Everybody else, I'd move on from. I'd be fine trading Kyle Duggar if, if I get a great pick in, in return. I'd be fine trading Josh Uche. I'd be fine trading, you know, 13, 14 other guys. I'd be okay with it. I'd also say cut the players that just, you know, can't be traded, have no value, and stink and are not going to have any kind of chance of re, you know, rebuilding that value. Devontae Parker's first on my list. See you later. I get rid of Devontae Parker. I would sit Juju Smith-Schuster. 
If I could get a six-round pick for Juju, I'd move on from him. I'd start cutting or trying to trade some of these guys for anything I could get. And, yes, you're going to eat some money. Oh, well, that's what happens when you have created a roster full of problems. You're going to have to eat some money. You're going to have to move on from some of these guys. Do not allow Parker and Juju to stunt the growth of Pop Douglas when he gets back, of Kayshawn Booty. Kayshawn Booty should have been active on Sunday. It's ridiculous that he wasn't. You're playing games and shenanigans with Malik Cunningham. Booty should have been out there. So what I would do is I would roll with Pop, Thornton, and Booty and say Juju's either sitting down with some kind of health designation and maybe hopefully he comes back next year and doesn't completely suck. And I'm getting rid of Devontae Parker. I have no use for him. I'm playing Pop. I'm playing Thornton. I'm playing Booty. I'm playing Keon White when he comes back instead of Josh Uche because Keon White actually gives you some potential to defend the run on the edge. Marte Mapu played zero snaps in Vegas last week. That's ridiculous. I need to see Mapu playing. That's what I would do. That would be my plan. I'd sit down with Belichick. I'd say, look, Grow gets all the autonomy, and you've got to deal with it if you trust Grow, which I really wouldn't trust Grow. I would go to Belichick, and I'd say, you are mandated to make these moves for the best of the football team in its long-term future. And if you can't handle that, I'm taking the keys, Bill. I am going to be the owner of this crew. I am going to take the responsibility and accountability. We are going to make the moves at the trade deadline that we need to make to, to create a better situation for 2024. And if you don't like it, go cry in the corner because you set up this mess. And then I would keep a handful of guys that help this team right now because if you blow it all up, it could be a disaster for everybody in that locker room. And you don't want to lose everybody in that locker room. Not because of this year, but because of the next two, three, four years. You can come, you, you can come up with some top quarterback in the draft class, if that guy comes in and he comes into a messy situation, just a, a an utter disaster in that locker room, that's not going to help that guy. You're not setting him up to succeed. That next quarterback is already playing behind the eight ball to a point because he's sitting in the locker room with a bunch of dudes who say this team gave up on us last year. This ownership gave up on us last year. You can't have that. So I'd hold on to a handful of guys that show good leadership that might actually be a part of this team in 2024. I'd start playing the young guys. We've got Patriots leftovers from Vegas and an update on the Red Sox GM search uh, coming up. But first, don't forget to like, rate, review, and subscribe. couple of things from Vegas that's left over. Coaching and not just talent is holding this team back. I think we see that. Offensive line development hasn't been there with the young guys. Antonio Maffi keeps getting beat on stunts over and over and over again. That's a coaching problem. Adrian Clem, I'm looking at you. The flags, the details, all of that stuff, that falls on the coaches. Not having their guys ready to play. Not coaching them up enough. The Malik Cunningham experiment, still don't understand that and how it played out. I mean, I get the idea of trying to add a wrinkle and try to add to the run game, but the guy played six snaps. The hell was the point? And none of those snaps worked out. It's a debacle. And you can go on and on with the list. But coaching is hurting this team. Yesterday, to go along with that, the coaching, I questioned why the Patriots ran only 19 times against that Raiders defense. That's not good against the run. I thought that was a mistake by Bill O'Brien. Andrew Callahan, the Boston Herald, posted on X. Raiders own one of NFL's worst run defenses. We talked about it last week. O'Brien called passes on 75% of first down plays in the first half. Those plays gained 15 yards. 
Yay. Then O'Brien called four straight first down runs to open the second half. You want to know what happened? We all know what happened. It was a great drive to start the third quarter. Those four straight first down runs, 15 yards, eight yards, six yards, seven yards. You would think you would run on first down more in the second half than you would throw. The Patriots averaged over six yards per first down run. You want to know what they averaged per first down pass? Just over two yards. Now, even a layman would say six yards better than two yards, right? I'm not a mathematician, but that seems pretty easy to figure out. So you would think with the success of running the football on first down, the first drive of the third quarter that led to a touchdown, you would think that Bill O'Brien would run the football on first down more than he would pass. I'm not saying run it every time because you need at least a sense of unpredictability. What did Bill do? Well, my own homework. Following that first drive of the second half, the first down of the next drive, Mack and shotgun, sacked. Second and 14, Mack and shotgun, six yards to Tyquan Thornton, third and eight, Mack and shotgun, incomplete to Henry. He misses Kendrick Bourne, who was open. So you ruin the drive right off the bat because you had Mack in shotgun, and he gets sacked on first down, which sets up a second and 14. That's losing football, and that's coaching, that's play calling. You had great success running the ball on early downs to start the half. Five, five of the next eight first downs were pass plays. And two of the other three first downs that were not pass plays were goal-to-go pretty much situations, goal-line situations. Easy run calls, right? Are you a run-first team or not? What is your identity? Do you have an identity? It's an absolute mess. And the offensive line, Chad Graff from uh, The Athletic. This is a reference point. It's not gospel. I know some of you don't like the pro football focus rankings and, and, and all of that, those grades. But this is just a reference because pro football focus isn't that bad off, right? Of 197 offensive linemen graded by pro football focus. David Andrews is 157. Calvin Anderson, 179. City So, 183. Antonio Maffi, 184. Vidarian Lowe, 187. You literally have a handful of the worst offensive linemen in football. Brown is the only guy. Trent Brown's the only guy that is spared. Like, rate, review, and subscribe. All right. Let's get to the Red Sox as we close this out. Uh, Chad Jennings of The Athletic had an update, said Brandon Gomes, Sam Fold, both declined to interview for the job, the GM job. Uh, Twins president of baseball operations, Derek Falvey, also declined to interview. Eddie Romero uh, has had an interview, and he is widely viewed, according to Jennings, as the favorite among the internal candidates. The team is continuing to look externally. I heard John Tomasi on NBC Sports Boston last night say he believes the team would rather go outside than stay internal. Uh, Here's what Jennings wrote. A person close to Twins general manager Thad Levine said Levine is open to the Red Sox job, but it's no slam dunk. Uh, Levine recently interviewed for the gig in Philly. That went to Dave Dombrowski. Uh, He he turned down interviews uh, with the Mets in 2018, the Astros in 2011. He was in Boston yesterday to have this interview. Uh, James Click is another name of the Blue Jays, vice president of baseball strategy. Of course, Click was with the Astros in 2022. He declined a one-year offer to stay. He thought that was a slap in the face, so he decided to leave the organization, and he spent this year in Toronto. And the final name is Kim Ng, 
who Jennings says it's unclear whether the Red Sox plan to pursue uh, Kim Ng, who parted ways yesterday with the Miami Marlins. And, and I think she's interesting. And I would seriously consider Ng. Number one, she has a relationship with Alex Cora from their L.A. days. I think that matters because Cora obviously has lots of stroke within this organization, which we've discussed multiple times on this podcast. Secondly, she's experienced. She's been a shot caller. She's been there, unlike Hein Bloom. She has been there before. She's worked in big markets, Chicago, New York, L.A., Miami. So she knows how it is to work for the Yankees, for the Dodgers. She knows how it is to work in Chicago and Miami, these big markets and dealing with the media. I think that's a feather in the cap. On the field, she took a team that had 67 wins in Miami to an 84-win playoff team this year, and this was the first full-season playoff team that Miami has had since 2003. It had been 20 years since they had a full-season playoff team, and she was responsible for running that ship. Maybe the best part of Kim Ng, when I look at the resume and the track record, especially in Miami, is she's not afraid to pull the trigger. She's not afraid to make trades. She's not afraid to trade prospects. She's not afraid to try to make the team better in the here and the now. She made multiple trades at the deadline this year that helped Miami get to the playoffs. She is not afraid of pulling the trigger, and that was, I think, Heim Bloom's biggest weakness. He thought too deeply. He thought too much. He was too hesitant. He was too cautious. He would not pull the trigger when the trigger needed to be pulled. Kim Ng is a different person. She will pull that trigger. She'll be happy to pull the freaking trigger. And some people wonder about free agency and some of the extensions she has handed out. How much is that a Miami issue? They don't like to spend money, as we know. That impacts what she does and who she can keep. And it's not like she's been a total fail. Again, she she helped build this team and, and helped this team get to the playoffs this year for the first time in 20 years in a full season. Now, I would keep building the scouting department. I would rely on a number of the scouts that have done a good job uh, building this Red Sox farm system over the past couple of years with Hein Bloom because Kim Ng, again, her draft record is, is kind of sketchy. How much of that is her? How much of that is the scouting department in Miami? One of the issues she had in Miami is that she wanted to turn over some of that uh, front office and ownership did not want her to, would not allow her to. So how much of it was a scouting issue? And one of the other issues that could come up here and one of the problems is it, it sounds like Ng does not love the idea of leaning on analytics as much as the ownership did in Miami. Now, did Miami's ownership lean too much into the analytics? I don't know. I'm not behind closed doors. But one of the disagreements and one of the reasons why Ng decided to mutually part ways because Miami wanted to bring her back. It was a mutual option. She said, thanks, but no thanks. One of the reasons why is because she reportedly, you know, she didn't really see eye to eye with the philosophy of the ownership group and some others in that front office that have been there prior to her getting there. And you might look at that and say it's a good thing because, again, a lot of people are questioning the drafting over the past couple of years that Miami has done. And maybe Kim Ng is looking at that saying, well, we didn't draft as well because this cluster of people need to go. So I, I would seriously consider Kim Ng. I really would. I think you have to go outside of the organization, as I've stated several times before. All right, that'll do it for today. Like, rate, review. 
Also, don't forget to uh, subscribe to YouTube, throw in those comments, give us the thumbs up. All of it helps. We're back tomorrow. It's the Nick Cattle Show.